While the others set the food ready, Aragorn bathed the hurts with water in which Athelas had steeped. The pungent fragments. Fragments. The pungent fragments. Wah. Atewas. Aragorn bathed it in Atewas. With the pungent fragments. <laughs> Myth will. <laughs> A coat of Myth will. Everyone, thank you so very much for joining me here. My name is Sam, and this is Sidecar Stories. And, uh, of course, we have been on our merry way through Middle-earth. As we progress into the year, um, you know, we're having our discussion right now about uh, post, post-holiday decorations. Kind of a second wave of decorations that, you, that are really simple to manage. Just two or three things, super simple to pull out of the box and put back in the box later. But just a quick wave where as you're taking down the tree, you put up a few more things in its place. So you transition nicely out of the holiday season instead of just going into cold, hard February. Nobody wants to... Nobody wants to... <laughs> <laughs> just go go into February raw like that. Um, we are embarking now upon chapter five of part two of book one. All right, so book one, the Fellowship of the Ring, Fellowship of the Ring, pronounced in English. Um, we're in part two, and we are let's see, a little bit less than halfway through part two. Um, we are now jumping into chapter five. The previous chapters have been quite long, and now today, chapters five and six. That's what we're up to today, chapters five and six. The prior chapters in this part have been long ones, and now we're back into our two-chapter kind of uh, kind of arrangement. I'm very excited for today. Um, we are going to be embarking into one of the most dramatic scenes i think possibly of the whole series but of course i don't want to give too many spoilers on that front everybody a spot of review frodo a little hobbit lad has inherited a ring which we have discovered over time is actually a ring of enormous powerful a huge weapon if it were to fall into the hands of the enemy after traveling a little bit just to keep it hidden um Frodo, uh, upon uh, advice from people much more learned in the world, uh, in the world's lore than him, um, including Gandalf, the wizard, uh, um, uh, Elrond, a, a half-elf, uh, uh, essentially wise person and leader of elves, um, we find that perhaps the best course of action is not to hide it forever, because the Dark Lord's power is growing. Um, Sauron's power is growing, and over time, no army will be able to withstand it, and uh, no no hiding place will be able to conceal this ring forever. And as such, these wise people decide that the only true course of action is to make the attempt, however hopeless it might be, to destroy the ring. They're going to take it to the one place where it can be destroyed, into the very heart of the enemy's territory, to Mount Doom where it was forged. We have traveled across the lands, met new people, and now we are traveling uh, with Frodo and Sam, uh, these two friends, uh, with uh, additional hobbit friends, with uh, Gandalf, with some humans, an elf, a dwarf. We are traveling now across Middle-earth uh, in the Fellowship of the Ring, selected by Elrond. Uh, nine 
people in order to maintain stealth, a, a small number, uh, nine people to go up against the number of black riders as well. And we've tried to get over the mountains. Unfortunately, the mountain Karadras has had other plans for us and forced us back down. And now we have plunged deep underground into the mines of Moria. Gandalf suspected we would have to come this way, but did not want to for this land underneath the mountains. It's dangerous. And for a great many years now, it is unknown precisely what dangers lie there. Chapter 5 The Bridge of Khazad Dum. The company of the ring stood silent beside the tomb of Balin. Frodo thought of Bilbo and his long friendship with the dwarf and of Balin's visit to the Shire long ago. In that dusty chamber in the mountains, it seemed a thousand years ago, and on the other side of the world. At length, they stirred and looked up, and began to search for anything that would give them tidings of Balin's fate, or show them what had become of his folk. There was another smaller door on the other side of the chamber, under the shaft. By both the doors they could now see that many bones were lying, and among them were broken swords and axe-heads and cloven shields and helms. Some of the swords were crooked, orc scimitars with blackened blades." There were many recesses cut in the rocks of the walls, and in them were large iron-bound chests of wood. All had been broken and plundered, but beside the shattered lid of one there lay the remains of a book. It had been slashed and stabbed and partly burned, and it was so stained with black and other dark marks like old blood that little of it could be read. Gandalf lifted it carefully, but the leaves cracked and broke as he laid it on the slab. He poured over it for some time without speaking. Frodo and Gimli, standing at his side, could see, as he gingerly turned the leaves, that they were written by many different hands, in runes, both of Moria and of Dale, and here and there, in Elvish script. At last, Gandalf looked up. It seems to be a record of the fortunes of Balin's folk, he said. I guess it began with their coming to Dimril Dale nigh on thirty years ago. The pages seem to have numbers referring to the years after their arrival. The top page is marked one to three, so at least two are missing from the beginning. Listen to this. We drove out orcs from the great gate and guard... I think the next word is blurred and burnt, probably room. We slew many in the bright, I think, sun in the dale. Floy was killed by an arrow. He slew the great. Then there is a blur followed by Floy under the grass near the mirror mare. Next line or two I cannot read. 
Then comes, we've taken the 21st hall of North End to dwell in. There is, uh, I, I cannot read what. A shaft is mentioned, and then Balin has set up his seat in the chamber of Mazarbul. The chamber of records, said Gimli. I guess that is where we stand now. And I can read no more for a long way, said Gandalf. Except for the word gold and Durin's axe and something helm. And then Balin is now lord of Moria. That seems to end a chapter. After some stars, another hand begins, and I can see we found true silver, and the word well-forged, and then something, I have it, mithril. And the last two lines, Owen to seek for the upper armories of Third Deep. There is something, uh, go westward, a blur, to Holling Gate. Gandalf paused and set a few leaves aside. There are several pages of the same sort, rather hastily written and much damaged, he said, but I can make little of them in this light. Now there must be a number of leaves missing, because they begin to be numbered five, the fifth year of the colony, I suppose. Let me see. Uh, No, they are too cut and stained. I cannot read them. Might do better in the sunlight. Wait, here is something. A large, bold hand using an elvish script. That would be Ori's hand, said Gimli, looking over the wizard's arm. He could write well and speedily, and often use the elvish characters. I fear he had ill tidings to record in a fair hand, said Gandalf. The first clear word is sorrow, but the rest of the line is lost, unless it ends in estre. Yes, it must be yester, followed by day, being 10th of November, Balin, Lord of Moria, fell in Dale. He went alone to look in Miramere. An orc shot him from behind a stone. We slew the orc, but any more uh, up east from the silver road. The remainder of the page is so blurred I can hardly make out anything, but I think I can read. We have barred the gates. Then we can hold them long, if they're perhaps uh, horrible and suffer. Poor Balin. He seems to have kept the title that he took for less than five years. I wonder what happened afterward, but there is no time to puzzle out the last few pages. Here is the last page of all. He paused and sighed. It is grim reading. I fear their end was cruel. Listen, we cannot get out. We cannot get out. I've taken the bridge and second hall. Frar and Loni and Nally fell there. And there are four lines smeared, so I can only read went five days ago. The last lines run. The pool is up to the wall at Westgate. The watcher in the water took Owen. 
that cannot get out. The end comes, and then drums, drums in the deep. I wonder what that means. The last thing written is in a trailing scroll of elf letters. They are coming. There is nothing more. Gandalf paused and stood in silent thought. A sudden dread and horror of the chamber fell on the company. We cannot get out, muttered Gimli. It was well for us that that pool had sunk a little and that the watcher was sleeping down at the southern end. Gandalf raised his head and looked around. They seem to have made their last stand by both doors, but there were not many left by that time. So ended the attempt to retake Moria. It was valiant, but foolish. The time is not come yet. Now I fear we must say farewell to Balin, son of Fundin. Here he must lie in the halls of his fathers. You will take this book, the Book of Mazarbul, and look at it more closely later. You had better keep it, Gimli, and take it back to Dayan if you get the chance. It will interest him, though it will grieve him deeply. Come, let us go. The morning is passing. Which way do we go? asked Boromir. Back to the hall, answered Gandalf. But our visit to this room has not been in vain. I now know where we are. This must be, as Gimli says, the chamber of Mazarbul. The hall must be the 21st of the north end. Therefore, we should leave by the eastern arch of the hall and bear right and south and go downwards. The 21st hall should be on the 7th level. That is six above the level of the gates. Come now, back to the hall. Gandalf had hardly spoken these words when there came a great noise. A rolling that seemed to come from the depths far below and to tremble in the stone at their feet. They sprang toward the door in alarm. It rolled again, as if huge hands were turning the very caverns of Moria into a vast drum. Then there came an echoing blast. A great horn was blown off the hall, and answering horns and harsh cries were heard farther off. There was a hurrying sound of many feet. They're coming, cried Legolas. We cannot get out, said Gimli. Trapped, cried Gandalf. Hurry, did I delay. Here we are, caught just as they were before. But I was not here then. We shall see what... <laughs> came the drumbeat, and the walls shook. Slam the doors and wedge them, shouted Aragorn. Keep your packs on as long as you can. We may yet get a chance to cut our way out. No! 
said Gandalf. We must not get shut in. Keep the east door ajar. We will go that way if we get the chance. <laughs> Another harsh horn call and shrill cries rang out. Feet were coming down the corridor. There was a ring and clatter as the company drew their swords. Glamdring shone with a pale light and sting glinted at the edges. Boromir set his shoulder against the western door. Wait a moment! Do not close it yet, said Gandalf. He sprang forward to Boromir's side and drew himself up to his full height. Who comes hither to disturb the rest of Balin, Lord of Moria? He cried in a loud voice. <laughs> there was a rush of hoarse laughter like the fall of sliding stones into a pit, and amid the clamor a deep voice was raised in command. <laughs> went the drums in the deep. With a quick movement, Gandalf stepped before the narrow opening of the door and thrust forward his staff. There was a dazzling flash that lit the chamber and the passage outside. For an instant, the wizard looked out. Arrows whined and whistled down the corridor as he sprang back. There are orcs, very many of them, he said, and some are large and evil, great Uruks of Mordor. For the moment, they're hanging back, but there is something else there. A great cave troll, I think, or more than one. There is no hope of escape that way. And no hope at all if they come at the other door as well, said Boromir. There is no sound outside here yet, said Aragorn, who was standing by the eastern door listening. The passage on this side plunges straight down a stair. It plainly does not lead back toward the hall. But it's no good flying blindly this way, with the pursuit just behind. We cannot block the door. Its key is gone, and the lock is broken, and it opens inward. We must do something to delay the enemy first. We will make them fear the chamber of Mazargul. He said grimly, feeling the edge of his sword, Anduril. Heavy feet were heard in the corridor. Boromir flung himself against the door and heaved it so too. Then he wedged it with broken sword blades and splinters of wood. The company retreated to the other side of the chamber. But they had no chance to fly yet. There was a blow on the door that made it quiver. <clears throat> and they began to grind slowly open, driving back the wedges. A huge arm and shoulder with a dark skin of greenish scales was thrust through the widening gap, and then a great, flat, toeless foot was forced through below. It was dead silence outside. Boromir sprang forward and hewed at the arm with all of his might, but his sword rang, glanced aside, and fell from his shaken hand. The blade was notched. Suddenly, to his own surprise, Frodo felt a hot wrath blaze up in his heart. The Shire! He cried, and springing beside Boromir, he stooped and jabbed with sting at the hideous foot. There was a bellow, and the foot jerked back, nearly wrenching Sting from Frodo's arm. Black drops dripped from the blade and smoked upon the floor. Boromir hurled himself against the door and slammed it again. One for the Shire, cried Aragorn. Hobbit's bite is deep. You've got a good blade, Drogo. Frodo, son of Drogo. 
There was a crash on the door, followed by another crash and a crash. Rams and hammers were beating against it. It cracked and staggered back, and the opening suddenly grew wide. Arrows came whistling in, but struck the northern wall and fell harmlessly to the floor. There was a trumpet blast and a rush of feet, and orcs, one after another, leaped into the chamber. How many there were, the company could not count. The affray was sharp, but the orcs were dismayed by the fierceness of the defense. Legolas shot two through the throat. Gimli hewed the legs from under another that sprang up on Balin's tomb. Boromir and Aragorn slew many. When thirteen had fallen, the rest fled, shrieking, leaving the defenders unharmed, except for Sam, who had a scratch along his scalp. A quick duck had saved him, as he had felled an orc, a sturdy thrust with his barrow blade. A fire was smoldering in his brown eyes that would have made Ted Sandyman step backward if he had seen it. Now is the time, cried Gandalf. Let us go before the troll returns. But even as they retreated, and before Pippin and Merry had reached the stair outside, a huge orc chieftain, almost man-high, clad in black mail from head to foot, leapt into the chamber. Behind him, his followers clustered in the doorway. His broad face was swart, his eyes were like coals, and his tongue was red, and he wielded a great spear. With a thrust of his huge hide shield, he turned Boromir's sword and bore him backward, throwing him to the ground. Diving under Aragorn's blow with the speed of a striking snake, he charged into the company and thrust with his spear straight at Frodo. The blow caught him in the right side, and Frodo was hurled against the wall and pinned. Sam, with a cry, hacked at the spear shaft and it broke, but even as the orc flung down the truncheon and swept out his scimitar, Andriel came down upon his helm. It was a flash like flame, and the helm burst asunder. The orc fell with cloven head. His followers fled, howling as Boromir and Aragorn sprang at them. Went the drums in the deep. The great voice rolled out once again. No! shouted Gandalf. Now is the last chance. Run for it! Aragorn picked up Frodo where he lay by the wall and made for the stair, pushing Merry and Pippin in front of him. The others followed, but Gimli had to be dragged away by Legolas. In spite of the peril, he lingered by Balin's tomb with his head bowed. Boromir hauled the eastern door too, grinding upon its hinges. It had great iron rings on either side, but could not be fastened. I'm all right, <coughs> gasped Frodo. I can walk. Put me down. Aragorn nearly dropped him in his amazement. I thought you were dead, he cried. Not yet, said Gandalf. But there is no time for wonder. Off you go, all of you, down the stairs. Wait a few minutes for me at the bottom, but if I do not come down soon, go on. Go quickly, and choose paths leading right and downward. We cannot leave you to hold the door alone, said Aragorn. Do as I say, said Gandalf fiercely. Swords are no more use here. Go! The passage was lit by no shaft and was utterly dark. They groped their way down a long flight of steps and then looked back, but they could see nothing, except high above them the faint glimmer of the wizard's staff. He seemed to be still standing on guard by the closed door. Frodo breathed heavily and leaned against Sam, who put his arms around him. They stood peering up the stairs into the darkness. Frodo thought he could hear the voice of Gandalf high above, muttering words that ran down the sloping roof with a sighing echo. 
He could not catch what was said. The walls seemed to be trembling. Every now and then, the drum beats throbbed and rolled. <laughs> Suddenly, at the top of the stair, there was a stab of white light. Then there was a dull rumble and a heavy thud. The drum beats broke out wildly. <laughs> and then stopped. Gandalf came flying down the steps and fell to the ground in the midst of the company. Well, well, that's over, said the wizard, struggling to his feet. I have done all that I could, but I've met my match and have nearly been destroyed. But don't stand here, go on. You'll have to do without light for a while. I'm rather shaken. Go on! Go on! Where are you, Gimli? Come ahead with me. Keep close behind, all of you. They stumbled after him, wondering what had happened. <laughs> with the drum beats again. They now sounded muffled and far away, but they were following. There was no other sound of pursuit. Neither tramp of feet nor any voice. Gandalf took no turns, left or right, but the passage seemed to be going in the direction that he desired. Every now and again it descended a flight of steps, fifty or more, to a lower level. At the moment, that was their chief danger, for in the dark they could not see a descent until they came upon it and put their feet out into emptiness. Gandalf felt the ground with his staff like a blind man. At the end of an hour they had gone a mile, or maybe a little more, and had descended many flights of the stairs. There was still no sound of pursuit. Almost they began to hope that they would escape. At the bottom of the seventh flight, Gandalf halted. It is getting hot, he gasped. We ought to be down, at least to the level of the gates now. Soon I think we should look for a left-hand turn to take us east. I hope it is not far. I am very weary. I must rest here a moment, even if all the orcs ever spawned are after us. Gimli took his arm and helped him down to a seat on the step. What happened away there up at the door? He asked. Did you meet the beater of the drums? I do not know, answered Gandalf. But I found myself suddenly faced by something... I have not met before. I could think of nothing to do but to, to try and put a shutting spell on the door. I know many, but to do things of that kind rightly deserves time. And even then, the door can be broken by strength. As I stood there, I could hear orc voices on the other side. At any moment, I thought they would burst it open. I could not hear what was said. They seemed to be talking in their own hideous language. All that I caught was crash. That is fire. Then something came into the chamber. I felt it through the door. And the orcs themselves were afraid and fell silent. It laid hold of the iron ring and then it perceived me and my spell. What it was, I cannot guess, but I have never felt such a challenge. The counter spell was terrible. It nearly broke me. 
For an instant, the door left my control and began to open. I had to speak a word of command. That proved too great a strain. The door burst in pieces. Something dark as a cloud was blocking out all the light inside, and I was thrown backward down the stairs. All the wall gave way, and the roof of the chamber as well, I think. I'm afraid Baling is buried deep, and maybe something else is buried there too, I cannot say. But at least the passage behind us is completely blocked. I've never felt so spent, but it is passing. And now what about you, Frodo? There was not time to say so, but I have never been more delighted in my life than when you spoke. I feared that it was a brave but dead hobbit that Aragorn was carrying. What about me? said Frodo. I'm alive and whole, I think. I'm bruised and in pain, but it's not too bad. Well, said Aragorn, I can only say that the hobbits are made of a stuff so tough I've never met the like of it. Had I known I would have spoken softer in the inn at Bree. That spear thrust would have skewered a boar. Well, it did not skewer me, I'm glad to say, said Frodo, though I feel I've been caught between a hammer and an anvil. He said no more. He found breathing painful. You take after Bilwell, said Kendalf. There is more about you than meets the eye, as I said of him long ago. Frodo wondered if the remark meant more than it said. They now went on again. Before long, Gimli spoke. He had keen eyes in his head. I think, he said, that there is a light ahead, but it is not daylight, it's red. What can it be? Hush, muttered Gandalf. I wonder what it is they meant. That the lower levels are on fire? Still, we can only go on. Soon the light became unmistakable and could be seen by all. It was flickering and glowing on the walls away down the passage before them. They could now see their way. In front, the road sloped down swiftly, and some way ahead there stood a low archway. Through it, the growing light came. The air became very hot. When they came to the arch, Gandalf went through, signing them to wait. As he stood just beyond the opening, they saw his face lit by a red glow. Quickly, he stepped back. There is some new devilry here. Devised for our welcome, no doubt. But I know where we are. We have reached the first deep and the level immediately below the gates. This is the second hall of Old Moria. And the gates are near. Away beyond the eastern end, on the left, not more than a quarter of a mile. Across the bridge, up a broad stair, along a wide road, through the first hall, and out. But come and look. They peered out. Before them was another cavernous hall. It was loftier and far longer than the one in which they had slept. They were near its eastern end. Westward it ran away into the darkness. Down the center stalked a double line of towering pillars. 
They were carved like bowls of mighty trees whose boughs upheld the roof with a branching tracery of stone. Their stems were smooth and black, but a red glow was darkly mirrored in their sides. Right across the floor, close to the feet of two huge pillars, a great fissure had opened. Out of it a fierce red light came, and now and again flames licked at the brink and curled about the bases of the columns. Wisps of dark smoke wavered in the hot air. If we had come by the main road down from the upper halls, we should have been trapped here, said Gandalf. Let us hope that the fire now lies between us and pursuit. Come, there is no time to lose. Even as he spoke, they heard again the pursuing drumbeat. <laughs> Away beyond the shadows at the western end of the hall, there came the same cries and horn calls. The pillars seemed to tremble and the flames to quiver. Now for the last race, said Gandalf. If the sun is shining outside, we may still escape. After me! He turned left and sped across the smooth floor of the hall. The distance was greater than it had looked. As they ran, they heard the beat and echo of many hurrying feet behind. A shrill yell went up. They had been seen. It was a ring and a clash of steel. An arrow whistled over Frodo's head. Boromir laughed. <laughs> they did not expect this, he said. The fire has cut them off. We're on the wrong side. Look ahead, called Gandalf. The bridge is near. It is dangerous and narrow. Suddenly Frodo saw before him a black chasm. At the end of the hall, the floor vanished and fell to an unknown depth. The outer door could only be reached by a slender bridge of stone without curb or rail that spanned the chasm with one curving spring of fifty feet. It was an ancient defense of the dwarves against any enemy that might capture the first hall and the outer passages. They could only pass across it in single file. At the brink, Gandalf halted and the others came up in a pack behind. Lead the way, Gimli, he said. Pippin and Merry next, straight on, and up the stair beyond the door. Arrows fell among them. One struck Frodo and sprang back. Another pierced Gandalf's hat and stuck there like a black feather. Frodo looked behind. Beyond the fire he saw swarming black figures. There seemed to be hundreds of orcs. They brandished spears and scimitars which shone red as blood in the firelight. <laughs> rolled the drum beats, growing louder and louder. <laughs> Legolas turned and set an arrow to the string, though it was a long shot for his small bow. He drew, but his hand fell, and the arrow slipped to the ground. He gave a cry of dismay and fear. Two great trolls appeared. They bore great slabs of stone and flung them down to serve as gangways over the fire. But it was not the trolls that had filled the elf with terror. The ranks of the orcs had opened, and they crowded away, as if they themselves were afraid. Something was coming up behind them. What it was could not be seen. It was like a great shadow, in the middle of which was a dark form, of man-shape maybe, yet greater, and a power and terror seemed to be in it and to go out before it. It came to the edge of the fire, and light faded as if a cloud had bent over it. Then with a great rush it leapt across the fissure. 
The flames roared up to greet it and wreathed about it, and a black smoke whirled in the air. Its streaming mane kindled and blazed behind it. In its right hand was a blade like a stabbing tongue of fire. In its left it held a whip of many thongs. Wailed Legolas. A Balrog! A Balrog is come! Gimli stared with wide eyes. Durin's pain! He cried, and letting his axe fall, he covered his face. A Balrog! muttered Gandalf. No, I understand. He faltered and leaned heavily on his staff. What an evil fortune, and I am already weary. The dark figure streamed with fire, raced toward them. The orcs yelled and poured over the stone gangways. Then Boromir raised his horn and blew. Loud the challenge rang and bellowed, like the shout of many throats under the cavernous roof. For a moment the orcs quailed and the fiery shadow halted. Then the echoes died as suddenly as flame blown out by a dark wind, and the enemy advanced again. Over the bridge! cried Gandalf, recalling his strength. Fly! This is a foe beyond any of you! I must hold the narrow way! Fly! Aragorn and Boromir did not heed the command but still held their ground side by side behind Gandalf at the far end of the bridge. The others halted just within the doorway at the hall's end and turned, unable to leave their leader to face the enemy alone. The Balrog reached the bridge. Gandalf stood in the middle of the span, leaning on the staff with his left hand, but his other hand held glamdering, gleaming, cold and white. His enemy halted again, facing him, and the shadow about it reached out like two vast wings. It raised the whip, and the thongs whined and cracked. Fire came from its nostrils, but Gandalf stood firm. You cannot pass, he said. The orc stood still, and a dead silence fell. I am a servant of the secret flame, wielder of the flame of Anur. You cannot pass. The dark fire will not avail you, flame of Urun. Go back to the shadow, you cannot pass. The Balrog made no answer. The fire in it seemed to die, but the darkness grew. It stepped forward slowly onto the bridge, and suddenly it drew itself up to a great height, and its wings were spreading from wall to wall, but still Gandalf could be seen, glimmering in the gloom. He seemed small and altogether alone, gray and bent like a wizened tree before the outset of a storm. From out of the shadow, a red sword leaped, flaming. Glamdring glittered white in answer. There was a ringing clang and a stab of white fire. The Balrog fell back. Its sword flew up in molten fragments. The wizard swayed on the bridge, stepping back a pace, and then stood still once again. You cannot pass! he said. With a bound, the Balrog leaped full upon the bridge. Its whip whirled and hissed. He cannot stand alone, cried Aragorn suddenly and ran back along the bridge. Elendil, he shouted. I'm with you, Gandalf. Gondor! 
cried Boromir, and leapt after him. At that moment, Gandalf lifted his staff, and crying aloud, he smote the bridge before him. The staff broke asunder and fell from his hand. A blinding sheet of white flame sprang up. The bridge cracked. <laughs> Right at the Balrog's feet it broke, and the stone upon which it stood crashed into the gulf while the rest remained, poised, quivering like a tongue of rock thrust out into emptiness. With a terrible cry, the Balrog fell forward, and its shadow plunged down and vanished. <laughs> But even as it fell, it swung its whip, and the thongs lashed and curled about the wizard's knees, dragging him to the brink. He staggered and fell, grasping vainly at stone and slid into the abyss. Fly, you fools, he cried, and was gone. The fires went out, and blank darkness fell. The company stood rooted with horror, staring into the pit. Even as Aragorn and Boromir came flying back, the rest of the bridge cracked and fell. With a cry, Aragorn roused them. Come, I will lead you now, he called. We must obey his last command. Follow me. They stumbled wildly up the great stairs beyond the door, Aragorn leading Boromir at the rear. At the top was a wide, echoing passage. Along this they fled. Frodo heard Sam at his side weeping and then found that he himself was weeping as he ran. The drum beats rolled behind, mournful now and slow. They ran on. The light grew before them. Great shafts pierced the roof. They ran swifter. They passed into a hall, bright with daylight from its high windows in the east. They fled across it. Through its huge broken doors they passed, and suddenly before them the great gates opened, an arch of blazing light. There was a god of orcs crouched in the shadows behind the great doorposts towering on either side, but the gates were shattered and cast down. Aragorn smote to the ground the captain that stood in his path, and the rest fled in terror of his wrath. The company swept past them and took no heed of them. Out of the gates they ran and sprang down the huge and age-worn steps, the threshold of Moria. Thus, at last, they came beyond hope under the sky and felt the wind on their faces. They did not halt until they were out of bowshot from the walls. Dimril Dale lay out before them. The shadow of the misty mountains lay upon it, but eastward there was a golden light on the land. It was but one hour after noon. The sun was shining. The clouds were white and high. They looked back. Dark yawned the archway of the gates under the mountain shadow. Faint and far beneath the earth rolled the slow drum beats. A thin black smoke trailed out. Nothing else was to be seen. The dale all around was empty.
grief at last wholly overcame them, and they wept long, some standing and silent, some cast upon the ground. The drum beats faded. I have actually been reading them, a couple of them, Proteus Spade. Y'all, I really, really appreciate it. I'm glad you're enjoying the sound effects. Um, <laughs> um, this was a pretty good way to come back, I think. Uh, I, I really am very happy with how this read-through just went. Um, that felt good. That felt good. Um, <laughs> thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Shotzi says, even my dogs are still and listening. Uh, they are, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, Malinois? They don't do still. Well, Shotzi's dogs and all the rest of y'all, thank you so very much for listening. We are indeed back with a bang. Uh, y'all, y'all, if you are listening on Discord right now, then um, really the only thing that you are likely to be missing is... Um, the music at the start and end of each chapter. Otherwise, you should be getting all the sound effects and everything, uh, all the all the sort of voice effects. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but everybody, that was that was a good one. <laughs> um, actually, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, uh, Orly Rose says, "Here's my chat question: Is there anyone here for whom this is the first time you've heard this? Anyone for whom this is entirely new? Yeah, and I'm wondering, like." Anyone here who has never even, like, watched the movies before, but I am also wondering, anyone here who perhaps has seen the movies but has never uh, read this or heard it, heard it uh, read aloud? <laughs> uh, X Nilo says, Sam, when do we get the, the audio-visual experience again? Did we get the audio? What do you mean? I am not sure what you mean, ex -Nilo. Um, The audio only in Twitch doesn't function the same for me as far as like being able to turn off my screen and keep listening. I think something might be on your end. I don't think, I, I mine is the same as I've done it for a long time. So I don't think that's on me. <laughs> I don't think that's over, over on this side. Um, but uh, folks, everybody, thank you. Thank you dearly for all of this. Um, <laughs> ex Nilo, ex -Nilo is having a rough go of it. Uh, <laughs> All right, so after the stream, I'll have to remember I have a little section to read through at the beginning, some Gandalf dialogue, but um, y'all, I'm going to take a quick break, as I typically do. We're back on our two-chapter grind, and so uh, let's go ahead and do it right. Folks, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Story. Currently, you are listening to The Lord of the Rings. This is Thursday, which currently means uh, Flying Sidecar. It is a voice actor's venture through some stories that we all love. Right now, Lord of the Rings, we are in, uh, we've just finished up 
chapter five of part two of book one. So book one, part two, chapter five. Um, we are following the fellowship and we have just exited the mind of Moria. Malt beer, meat fresh off the bone. Is it meat? meat it's, it's meeps. <laughs> Shotzi says, Oh, oh, y'all know how Sam was talking about getting mono, then Quimsy? So apparently it's very common to get mono and then another illness. I did not know that. I did not know that. Um, yeah, I did have... I'm pretty sure it was Quimsy. Like I said, we we came upon a mention of Quimsy. I didn't know what it was, so I looked it up and found out. I'm pretty sure I had that uh, when I got mono. Um, but uh, yeah, mono, it just sort of like knocks you way, way out. It's not, frankly, I did not have a terrible time with mono. I was very tired, but but overall, like mono, the experience of mono itself was kind of okay for me. Uh, it was the it was the quimsy afterward that really got me. Okay, my eyebrows did indeed survive. <laughs> Everybody, a quick chatter break question. We have lost Gandalf. Gandalf is fallen. Gandalf is no more. Very quickly, Aragorn steps up, and I think, um, although most of the group, there may be there may be some dissent. Um, uh, I think most of the group probably would have perhaps selected Aragorn anyway as kind of a um, a, a a neutral leader at the very least, if not a great one. Um, but. I want to hear what your thoughts are as to how this group is going to proceed now that Gandalf is not in charge. Gandalf was kind of like, uh, kind of like a, a parent or a teacher, right? If we consider sort of the scale of power between some of these people, Gandalf is now, Gandalf is, is gone, which means that everyone left in the group here, with the exception of the hobbits, who I would say are overall sort of less powerful than the rest, but, you know, Legolas, Aragorn, Boromir, Gimli, they they all sort of share a similar kind of level of agency, and, I mean, even, it, like, even one of them against uh, all four of the hobbits at once, like, you, the hobbits could feasibly come out on top of that. They've got some decent weapons and armor going on. Um, what, are we, what are we doing? I'm, like, I'm trying to turn this into a uh, card game. Um... But no, just if we talk about the, the sort of level of power and the authority that that grants, Gandalf was clearly far and away out in front, right? His power and his wisdom were sort of unquestionable, and as such, he was an easy person to follow, right? Nobody in the group was going, uh, although they might have considered like, no, this is a bad idea that our good leader has had. None of them were made mention at the very least of saying like, oh no, not Gandalf, well Gimli should clearly be the leader. But now, Gandalf is gone. And uh, I guess put... <laughs> put more simply, by ex Nilo, how are these nerds going to get by without Magic Stick Man? There's our Chatterbrick question. I'm going to be gone for about five minutes. Got to refill my water and all that. All that. I'll see you then. See you in five. Bye-bye. Hello folks, how do you do? It's great to have you here. <laughs> I miss some of those Harry Potter voices.
Mr. Weasley's. Weasley, you get back here and cut your hair, or have one of my sons going around looking like a <laughs> looking like a Highland. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy! All right, my good folks. Bill and Sam save the world. I believe that's the the name of the movie. Um, folks, let's have a little bitty chat. Let's talk about this uh, chatterbreak question. Um, now that Aragorn is sort of a de facto leader, um, or at least so it looks like right now. Um, now that Aragorn has at the very least claimed the authority of leadership, um, now that uh, Gandalf is gone, how is this group going to fare? What are we going to see in terms of uh, uh, leadership and how are these relationships going to change now that there's not a clear leader? Because I think we can all agree at the uh, beginning of this quest, Gandalf was the clear leader. It, it, there, there was no vote. It's, <laughs> there was no vote, no line of succession that indicated, well, you know, either of these two people, you know, Gandalf or this other person would have been great, but uh, it just ended up being Gandalf. No, no, no. Gandalf was the only right answer. But now Gandalf, the only right answer, is gone. Now we've just got good answers. How are we going to fare? Let me see. Let me see, let me see, let me see. Uh, so Shotzi gives us a quick rundown of how it's going to go. Number one, fall apart. Number two, lose all hope. Number three, find an inner source of strength. Okay, Shotzi coming at this from a very classical uh, literary point of view. Not bad, not bad at all. This is a certainly common, uh, uh, a, a common sort of path for many of our classical stories to take. I like it. It's a good it's a good general analysis. Uh, X Nilo says, I mean, I would love if each of their own personal qualities and strengths shone through. Again, looking at this from a good um, uh, sort of outside perspective, looking at this from a good sort of writerly perspective. Um, <laughs> X Nilo says, uh, but I wonder which ones are going to rise to the occasion and which ones will succumb to. We lost our wizard. Hope is lost. Uh, and indeed, Shotzi says, oh, and someone has to give a stirring speech. Okay, this is all very good. <laughs> this is all very good. Um, but I want to know, I want to know how each one of them is going to carry themselves. Is anyone going to challenge Aragorn's leadership? Um, let me see. Proteus Spade says, okay, so as Watsonian as I can Watsonian as I can be, especially as someone who knows the series, I'd say there are three main candidates for the leader. Um, Aragorn, because he straight up said that he would lead them out of Moria, and he's the first to take the lead, and that's important. Two, Boromir, because he seems to have the experience from a lot that was said at the council. And three, Legolas, because have you seen elves in this book? They're qualified by species alone. They're so good at everything. Yes, yeah, so they, they certainly do have like a special kind of uh, ensconced place in uh, the powers of the world. They don't they don't merely move through it. They move kind of over it in a lot of ways. Um, certainly some good possibilities, and I like that. There are, there are you know reasons for each of those three, and I would I would put you know. Uh, uh, Gimli up there as well because he's shown himself to be uh, uh, a solid navigator oftentimes uh, you know whenever when when and, and partially just because of the territory of the world that they are in um, you know both Moria and Karadras he was up near the front both times uh, because he sort of knows the territory um, I do wonder if we are now beyond that but that's a you know, possibility as well. Dumbledore's mom says I think Aragorn's the natural choice but Boromir or Legolas could fight him for it 
Yeah, that's the question. Are they going to fight him for it? Indeed. We've had some Sam and Bill stands in chat as well. <laughs> We've had some, some Sam and Bill stands, but unfortunately, the, the dynamic duo is separated. Bill is gone. Bill's gone. They had to leave Bill behind uh, at the beginning, back by the Watcher in the Water, which is terrible as we i mean we we all feel terrible about that um but folks a good bit of discussion let's talk a spot of review and we will go on into our second and final chapter for the evening chapter six Florian. so um of course we have followed uh frodo as he has brought the ring uh to sort of the the big mountain range that separates um uh kind of the eastern side of uh, of of Middle Earth from the Western side. I know that's not really true, but of the area that we are in, there's sort of the the Western side, which includes um, you know the sea out in the far side, and then the Shires a little bit closer there, kind of in the middle, and then uh, you know we've got like a Bree, for instance, which is a little bit closer to the mountains in the middle there, uh, and then we get to the other side of the mountains, and that's where we find a lot of the sort of existing kingdoms of men. If we keep heading that direction, we find Mordor, and uh, if we keep heading that direction south and east will hit like harad and what have you but that doesn't really come into play um we have uh we've kind of crossed this major threshold we are sort of beyond i mean there it's it's a mountain range right and so if there was a mountain range between us and the land from which all evil emanates there isn't any longer there's now no mountain range between us and them not 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 really i know i know i know i know there are mountains but but it's it's it we have sort of crossed the big threshold um i have to i always have to like get my 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 ruler and sort of smack beadants on the on the hands as they try to <laughs> try to argue with me about which one uh about whether or not there are more mountains in between um about particularities but um we are indeed now uh past this mountain range and this means that the lands on this other side here are going to be, feel different, right? We just encountered a whole bunch of orcs. That's not something we saw in uh, in the lands prior, right? Over on the other side, over on the western side of the mountains, where we just came from with the Shire and Wadal, um, these are generally the the big the big bad thing that we've come up against physically are these black clad riders. Um, now. We are dealing with, you know, hundreds of orcs inside Moria. We are getting closer to where the big evil comes from. And uh, I think we're going to start to see, as time goes on, how lands change, how lives and societies change here as they are more and more overshadowed by this great darkness that comes from Mordor. So... We've passed the threshold. Uh, we are just coming out of Moria, and really the big thing that uh, is to be learned here is the fellowship is now down one person, and arguably the most important. We have Frodo and Sam, of course. Eh, Gandalf then, I think, second to Frodo, perhaps. But um, Frodo and Sam, Merry and Pippin, Legolas and Gimli, Aragorn and Boromir. Those are the ones who remain, and Gandalf is lost. That is where we are. 
Aragorn has taken up the mantle of leadership, but we shall see how the Fellowship fares with only eight. That's not the right button. This is the right button. Chapter 6 Lothlorien Alas, I fear we cannot stay here longer, said Aragorn. He looked toward the mountains and held up his sword. Farewell, Gandalf, he cried. Did I not say to you, if you pass the doors of Moria, beware? Alas, that I spoke true. What hope have we without you? He turned to the company. We must do without hope, he said. At least we may yet be avenged. Let us gird ourselves and weep no more. Come, we've got a long road and much to do. They rose and looked about them. Northward the dale ran up into the glen of shadows between two great arms of the mountains, above which three white peaks were shining. Celebdil, Fanuidol, Cardras, the mountains of Moria. At the head of the glen, a torrent flowed like a white lace over an endless ladder of short falls, and a mist of foam hung in the air about the mountain's feet. Yonder is the Dimril Stair, said Aragorn, pointing to the falls. Down the deep cloven way that climbs beside the torrent we should have come, if fortune had been kinder. Or Caradras less cruel, said Gimli. There he stands, smiling in the sun. He shook his fist at the farthest of the snow-capped peaks and turned away. To the east, the outflung arm of the mountains marched to a sudden end, and far lands could be descried beyond them, wide and vague. To the south, the misty mountains receded endlessly, as far as sight could reach. Less than a mile away, and a little below them, for they still stood high up in the west side of the dale, there lay a mere. It was long and oval, shaped like a great spearhead thrust deep into the northern glen, but its southern end was beyond the shadows under the sunlit sky. Yet its waters were deep, a deep blue like clear evening sky seen from a lamplit room. Its face was still and unruffled. About it lay a smooth sward, shelling down on all sides into its bare, unbroken rim. There lies the mirror mare. Deep Kelenzaram, said Gimli sadly. I remember what he said. May you have the joy of the sight, but we cannot linger there. How long shall I journey ere I've got joy again? It is I that must hasten away, and he that must return. The company now went down the road from the gates. It was rough and broken, fading to a winding track between heather and th wind. Hmm? Win? Interesting. Never seen that word before. W-H-I-N. 
fading to a winding track between heather and wind that thrust amid the cracked stones. But still it could be seen that, long ago, a great paved way had wound upward from the lowlands to the dwarf kingdom. In places there were ruined works of stone beside the path, and mounds of green topped with slender birches, or fir trees sighing in the wind. An eastern bend led them hard by the sward of the Miramir, and there, not far from the roadside, stood a single column, broken at the top. "'That is Durin's stone!' cried Gimli. "'I cannot pass without turning aside for a moment to look at the wonder of the dale!' "'Be swift, then,' said Aragorn, looking back toward the gates. "'The sun sinks early. The orcs will not, maybe, come out until after dusk.' but we must be far away before nightfall. The moon is almost spent, and it will be dark tonight. Come with me, Frodo, cried the dwarf, springing from the road. I will not have you go without seeing Kaladzaram. He ran down the long green slope. Frodo followed slowly, drawn by the blue still water, in spite of hurt and weariness. Sam came up behind. Beside the standing stone, Gimli halted and looked up. It was cracked and weather-worn, and the faint runes upon its side could not be read. This pillar marks the spot where Durin first looked in the mirror mare, said the dwarf. Let us look ourselves once, ere we go. They stooped over the dark water. At first they could see nothing, and then slowly... They saw the forms of the encircling mountains mirrored in a profound blue, and the peaks were like plumes of white flame above them. Beyond, it was a space of sky. There, like jewels sunk in the deep, shone glinting stars, though sunlight was in the sky above. Of their own stooping forms, no shadow could be seen. Oh, Kailicharam, fair and wonderful, said Gimli. There lies the crown of Durin until he wakes. Farewell. He bowed and turned away, and hastened back up the greensward to the road again. What did you see? said Pippin to Sam, but Sam was too deep in thought to answer. The road now turned south and went quickly downward, running out from between arms of the dale. Some way below the mere they came to a deep well of water, clear as crystal, from which a freshet fell over a stone lip and ran glistening and gurgling down a steep, rocky channel. There is the spring from which the silver load rises, said Gimli. Do not drink of it. It is icy cold. Soon it becomes a swift river, and it gathers water from many other mountain streams, said Aragorn. Our road leads beside it for many miles. "'for I shall take you by the road that Gandalf chose. "'And first I hope to come to the woods "'where the silver load flows down to the great river, out yonder.' "'They looked as he pointed, "'and before them they could see the stream leaping down "'to the trough of a valley, "'and then running on and away into the lower lands "'until it was lost in a golden haze. "'There lie the woods of Lothlorien,' said Legolas, that is the fairest of all the dwellings of my people. There are no trees like the trees of that land, for in the autumn their leaves fall not, but turn to gold. Not till the spring comes and the new green opens do they fall, and then the boughs are laden with yellow flowers, and the floor of the wood is golden, 
and golden is the roof, and its pillars are of silver, but the bark of the trees is smooth and grey. So still our songs in Mirkwood say. My heart would be glad if I were beneath the eaves of that wood, and it were springtime. My heart will be glad, even in the winter, said Aragorn, but it lies many miles away. Let us hasten. For some time, Frodo and Sam managed to keep up with the others, but Aragorn was leading them at a great pace, and after a while they lagged behind. They had eaten nothing since the early morning. Sam's cut was burning like fire, and his head felt light. In spite of the shining sun, the wind seemed to chill after the warm darkness of Moria. He shivered. Frodo felt every step more painful, and he gasped for breath. At last Legolas turned, and seeing them now far behind, he spoke to Aragorn. The others halted, and Aragorn ran back, calling to Boromir to come with him. "'I'm sorry, Frodo,' he cried, full of concern. "'So much has happened this day. We've got need of such haste that I'd forgotten that you were hurt, and Sam too. You should have spoken. We have done nothing to ease you, as we ought, though all the orcs of Moria were after us. Come now. A little further on there's a place where we can rest a little. There I will do what I can for you.' Come, Boromir, we will carry them. Soon afterward they came upon another stream that ran down from the west and joined its bubbling water with the hurrying silver load. Together they plunged over a fall of green-hued stone and foamed down into a dell. About it stood fir trees, short and bent, and its sides were steep and clothed with heart's tongue and shrubs of whortleberry. At the bottom there was a level space through which the stream flowed noisily over shining pebbles, here they rested. It was now nearly three hours after noon, and they had come only a few miles from the gates. Already the sun was westering. While Gimli and the two younger hobbits kindled a fire of brush and fir wood and drew water, Aragorn tended Sam and Frodo. Sam's wound was not deep, but it looked ugly, and Aragorn's face was grave as he examined it. After a moment, he looked up with relief. Good luck, Sam he said. Many have received worse than this in payment for the slaying of their first orc. The cud is not poisoned, as the wounds of orc blades too often are. It should heal well when I've tended it. Bathe it when Gimli has heated the water. He opened his pouch and drew out some withered leaves. They are dry, and some of their virtue has gone, he said. But here I have still some of the leaves of Atelas that I gathered near Weathertop. Crush one in the water, and wash the wound clean, and I will bind it. Now it is your turn, Frodo. I'm all right, said Frodo, reluctant to have his garments touched. All I needed was some food and a little rest. No, said Aragorn. We must have a look to see what that hammer and anvil have done to you. I still marvel that you are alive at all. Gently he stripped off Frodo's old jacket and worn tunic, and gave a gasp of wonder. Then he laughed, the silver corslet shimmered before his eyes like a rippling sea. Carefully he took it off and held it up, and the gems on it glittered like stars, and the sound of the shaken rings was like the tinkle of rain in a pool. Look, my friends, he said, here's a pretty hobbit skin to wrap an elven princeling in. If it were known that hobbits had such hides, all the hunters of Middle-earth would be riding to the Shire. And all the 
shadows of all the hunters in the world would be in vain, said Gimli, gazing at the male in wonder. That is a mithril court. Mithril, I've never seen or heard tell of one so fair. Is this the court that Gandalf spoke of? And then he undervalued it. Thought it was well given. I've often wondered what you and Bilbo were doing so close in his little room, said Mary. Bless the old hobbit. I love him more than ever. I hope we get a chance at telling him about it. There was a dark and blackened bruise on Frodo's right side and breast. After the mail, there was a shirt of soft leather, but at one point the rings had driven through it into the flesh. Frodo's left side was also scored and bruised where he'd been hurled against the wall. While the others set the food ready, Aragorn bathed the hurts in water in which Atelas had steeped. The pungent fragrance filled the dell, and all those who stooped over the steaming water felt refreshed and strengthened. Soon Frodo felt the pain leave him, and his breath grew easy, though he was stiff and sore to the touch for many days. Aragorn bound some soft pads of cloth to his side. "'The mail is marvelously light,' he said. "'Put it on again, if you can bear it. My heart is glad to know you've got such a coat. Do not lay it aside, even in sleep, unless fortune brings you to where you are safe for a while.' and that will seldom chance while your quest lasts. When they had eaten, the company got ready to go on. They put out the fire and hid all traces of it. Then, climbing out of the dell, they took to the road again. They had not gone far before the sun sank behind the western heights and great shadows crept down the mountainsides. Dusk veiled their feet, and mist rose in the hollows. Away in the east, the evening light lay pale in the dim lands of distant plain and wood. Sam and Frodo, now feeling eased and greatly refreshed, were able to go at a fair pace, and with only one brief halt, Aragorn led the company on for nearly three more hours. It was dark. Deep night had fallen. There were many clear stars, but the fast-waning moon would not be seen till late. Gimli and Frodo were at the rear, walking softly and not speaking, listening for any sound upon the road behind. At length, Gimli broke the silence. "'Not a sound but the wind,' he said. "'There are no goblins near, or my ears are made of wood. It is to be hoped that the orcs will be content with driving us out of Moria, and maybe that was all their purpose, and they've got nothing else to do with us, or with the ring. Though... Orcs will often pursue foes for many leagues into the plain, if they have a fallen captain to avenge. Frodo did not answer. He looked at Sting, and the blade was dull. Yet he had heard something, or thought he had. As soon as the shadows had fallen about them and the road behind was dim, he had heard again the quick patter of feet. Even now he heard it. He turned swiftly. There were two tiny gleams of light behind. Well, for a moment he thought he saw them, but at once they slipped aside and vanished. "'What is it?' said the dwarf. "'I don't know,' answered Frodo. "'I thought I heard feet, and I thought I saw a light, like eyes. "'I have thought so often, since we entered Moria.' Gimli halted and stooped to the ground. "'I hear nothing but a night speech of plant and storm,' he said. "'Come, let us hurry. 
The others are out of sight. The night wind blew chill up the valley to meet them. Before them a wide gray shadow loomed, and they heard an endless rustle of leaves like poplars in the breeze. Lothlorien, cried Legolas. Lothlorien, we have come to the eaves of the golden wood. Alas, that it is winter. Under the night the trees stood tall before them, arched over the road and stream that ran suddenly beneath their spreading boughs. In the dim light of the stars their stems were gray and their quivering leaves a hint of fallow gold. Lothlorien, said Aragorn, glad to hear again the wind in the trees. We're still little more than five leagues from the gate, but we can go no further. Here let us hope that the virtue of the elves will keep us tonight from the peril that comes behind. Elf, elves indeed still dwell here in the darkening world, said Kimli. It is long since any of my own folk journeyed hither, back to the land whence we wandered ages long ago, said Legolas. But we hear that Lorien is not yet deserted, for there is a secret power here that holds evil from the land. Nevertheless, its folk are seldom seen, and maybe they dwell now deep in the woods and far from the northern border. The, the, I'm trying to hold for sound. I'm trying, did y'all hear that horn just going a little bit, a little bit nuts back there? Miff will, <laughs> the Miff will voice. Oh boy, Lovecraft and the Miff will voice. Terrible tentacles. Uwu. It's just uwu all over again. Indeed. Deep in the wood they dwell, said Aragorn, and sighed as if some memory stirred in him. We must fend for ourselves tonight. We'll go forward a short way until the trees are all about us, and then we will turn aside from the path and seek a place to rest in. He stepped forward, but Boromir stood irresolute and did not follow. Is there no other way? he said. What fairer way would you desire? said Aragorn. A plain road, though it led through a hedge of swords, said Boromir. By strange paths as this company led, and so far to evil fortune. Against my will we passed under the shades of Moria, to our loss. And now we must enter the golden wood, so you say. But of that perilous land we've heard in Gondor, and it is said that few come out who once go in. And of those few, none have left unscathed. Say not unscathed, but if you say unchanged, then maybe you will speak the truth, said Aragorn. But law wanes in Gondor, Boromir, if in the city of those who were wise once, they now speak ill of Lothlorien. Believe what you will, there is no other way for us, unless you would go back to Moria Gate, or scale the pathless mountains, or swim the great river all alone. Then lead on, said Boromir. But it is perilous. Perilous indeed, said Aragorn. 
fair and perilous, but only evil need fear it, or those who bring some evil with them. Follow me. They had gone little more than a mile into the forest when they came upon another stream flowing down swiftly from the tree-clad slopes that climbed back westward toward the mountains. They heard it splashing over a fall away among the shadows on their right. Its dark, hurrying waters ran across the path before them and joined the silver load in a swirl of dim pools among the roots of trees. "'Here is Nimrodel,' said Legolas. Of this stream the sylvan elves made many songs long ago, and still we sing them in the north, remembering the rainbow on its falls and the golden flowers that floated on its form. All is dark now, and the bridge of Nimrodel is broken down. I will bathe my feet, for it is said that the water is healing to the weary. He went forward and climbed down the steep cloven bank and stepped into the stream, "'Follow me,' he cried. "'The water is not deep. "'Let us wade across. "'On the farther bank we can rest, "'and the sound of the falling water "'may bring us sleep and forgetfulness of grief.' "'One by one they climbed down and followed Legolas. "'For a moment Frodo stood near the brink "'and let the water flow over his tired feet. "'It was cold, but its touch was clean.' And as he went on, it mounted to his knees, he felt that the stain of travel and all weariness was washed from his limbs. When all the company had crossed, they sat and rested and ate a little food, and Legolas told them tales of Lothlorien that the elves of Mirkwood still kept in their hearts, of sunlight and starlight upon the meadows by the great river before the world was gray. At length, a silence fell and they heard the music of the waterfall running sweetly in the shadows. Almost, Frodo fancied he could hear a voice singing mingled with the sound of the water. "'Do you hear the voice of Nimrodel?' asked Legolas. "'I will sing you a song of the maiden Nimrodel, who bore the same name as a stream beside which she lived long ago. It is a fair song in our woodland tongue,' But this is how it runs in the western speech, as Sam and Rivendell now sing it. In a soft voice hardly to be heard amid the rustle of the leaves above them, he began. An elven maid there was of old, a shining star by day. Her mantle white was hemmed with gold, her shoes of silver gray. A star was bound upon her brows, a light was on her hair, as sun upon the golden boughs in glory in the fair. Her hair was long, her limbs were white, and fair was she and free. And in the wind she went as light as leaf of linden tree. Beside the falls of Nimrodel, by water clear and cool, 
Her voice was falling silver fell into the shining pool. Where now she wanders none can tell in sunlight or in shade. For lost of your was Nimrodel and in the mountains strayed. The elven ship in haven grey beneath the mountain lee awaited her for many a day beside the roaring sea. A wind by night in northern lands arose and loud it cried and drove the ship from elven strands across the streaming tide. When dawn came dim, the land was lost, the mountains sinking grey. Beyond the heaving wave that tossed their plumes of blinding spray. Amroth beheld the fading shore, now low beyond the swell, and cursed the facelift ship that bore. Dang it, I could do it if I hadn't done Gimli's voice so much earlier. <laughs> trying to hit, my, trying to hit my, my falsetto in this. Not a chance. And cursed the faithless ship that bore him far from Nimrodel. Of old he was an elven king, a lord of tree and glen, when golden were the boughs in spring, in Felothlorien. From helm to sea they saw him leap, as arrow from the string, and dive into the water deep, as mew upon the wing. The wind was flowing in his hair, the foam about him shone, and after they saw him strong, fair, go riding like a swan. But from the west has come no word, and on the hither shore no tidings elven folk have heard of Amroth evermore. The voice of Legolas faltered, and the song ceased. I cannot sing any more, he said. That is but a part, for I have forgotten much. It is long and sad, for it tells how sorrow came upon Lothlorien, Lorien of the Blossom, when the dwarves awakened evil in the mountains. But dwarves did not make the evil, said Gimli. I said not so. Yet evil came, answered Legolas sadly. Then many of the elves of Nimrodel's kindred left their dwellings and departed, and she was lost far in the south in the passes of the White Mountains, and she came not to the ship where Amroth, her lover, waited for her. But in the spring, 
when the wind is in the new leaves, the echo of her voice may still be heard by the falls that bear her name. And when the wind is in the south, the voice of Amroth comes up from the sea, for Nimrodel flows into the silver load, that elves call Calibrant, and Calibrant into Anduin the Great, and Anduin flows to the Bay of Belafaras, whence the elves of Lorien set sail. But neither Nimrodel nor Amrath ever came back. It is told that she had a house built in the branches of a tree that grows near the falls, for that was the custom of the elves of Lorien, to dwell in the trees, and maybe it is so still. Therefore they were called the Kaladrim, the tree people. Deep in their forest the trees are very great. The people of the woods did not delve in the ground like dwarves, nor build strong places of stone before the shadow came. And even in these latter days, dwelling in the trees might be thought safer than sitting on the ground, said Gimli. He looked across the stream to the road that led back to Dimril Dale, and then up to the roof of dark boughs above. Your words bring good counsel, Gimli, said Aragorn. We cannot build a house, but tonight we will do as the Galadrim, and seek refuge in the treetops if we can. We've sat here beside the road already longer than was wise. The company now turned aside from the path and went into the deeper shadow of the woods, westward, along the mountain stream away from the Silverlode. Not far from the falls of Nimrodel they found a cluster of trees, some of which overhung the stream. Their great grey trunks were of mighty girth, but their height could not be guessed. "'I will climb up,' said Legolas. "'I am at home among the trees, by root or bough, though these trees are of a kind strange to me, save as a name in song. Milion they are called, and are those that bear the yellow blossom, though I have never climbed in one. I will see now what is their shape and way of growth.' it may be, said Pippin. There will be marvellous trees indeed if they can offer any rest at night, except to birds. I can't sleep on a perch. Then dig a hole in the ground, said Legolas, if that is more after the fashion of your kind. But you must dig swift and deep if you wish to hide from orcs. He sprang lightly up from the ground and caught a branch that grew from the trunk high above his head. But even as he swung there for a moment, a voice spoke suddenly from the tree shadows above. A voice spoke suddenly from the tree shadows above him. Daro, it said in a commanding tone, and Legolas dropped back to the earth in surprise and fear. He shrank against the bole of the tree. Stand still, he whispered to the others. Do not move or speak. There was a sound of laughter over their heads, and then another clear voice spoke in an elven tongue. Frodo could understand little of what was said, for the speech that the sylvan folk east of the mountains used among themselves was unlike that of the west. Legolas looked up and answered in the same language. "'Who are they, and what do they say?' asked Mary. "'The elves,' said Sam. "'Can't you hear their voices?' "'Yes, they are elves,' said Legolas. And they say that you breathe so loudly they could shoot you in the dark. Sam hastily put his hand over his mouth. But they say also that you have no need to fear. 
They've been aware of us for a long time. They heard my voice across the Nimrodel and knew I was one of their northern kindred, and therefore they did not hinder our crossing, and afterward they heard my song. Now they bid me to climb up with Frodo, for they seem to have had some tidings of him and our journey. The others they ask to wait a while, and to keep watch at the foot of the tree until they have decided what is to be done. Out of the shadows a ladder was let down. It was made of rope, silver-gray and glimmering in the dark, and though it looked slender it proved strong enough to bear many men. Legolas ran lightly up, and Frodo followed slowly. Behind came Sam trying not to breathe loudly. The branches of the Malorn tree grew out nearly straight from the trunk and then swept upward, but near the top the main stem divided into a crown of many boughs, and among them they found that there had been built a wooden platform, or flat, as such things were called these days. The elves called it a talan. It was reached by a round hole in the center through which the ladder passed. When Frodo came at last up to the flat, he found Legolas seated with three other elves. They were clad in shadowy gray and could not be seen among the tree stems unless they moved suddenly. They stood up, and one of them uncovered a small lamp that gave out a slender silver beam. He held it up, looking at Frodo's face and Sam's. Then he shut the light off again and spoke in words of welcome in his elven tongue. Frodo spoke haltingly in return. Welcome the elf said again, in the common language, speaking slowly. We seldom use any tongue but our own, for we dwell now in the heart of the forest, and do not willingly have dealings with any other folk. Even our own kindred in the north are sundered from us, but there are some of us who are still going abroad for gathering of news, and watching of our enemies, and they speak the languages of other lands. I am one. Haldir is my name. My brothers Rumil and Orofin speak little of your tongue. But we have heard rumours of your coming, for the messengers of Elrond passed by Lorien on their way home, up the Dimril stair. We had not heard of hobbits, of halflings, for many a long year, and did not know that any yet dwelt in Middle-earth. You do not look evil, and since you come with an elf of our kindred, we are willing to befriend you, as Elrond asked, though it is not our custom to lead strangers through our land. But you must stay here tonight. How many are you? Eight, said Legolas. Myself. Four hobbits and two men, one of whom, Aragorn, is an elf friend of the folk of Westerness. The name of Aragorn, son of Arathorn, is known in Lorien, said Haldir, and he has the favour of the lady. All then is well, but you have spoken yet only of seven. The eighth is a dwarf, said Legolas. A dwarf, said Haldir. That is not well. We have not had dealings with the dwarves since the dark days. They are not permitted in our land. I cannot allow him to pass. But he is from the Lonely Mountain, one of Dan's trusty people and friendly to Elrond, said Frodo. Elrond himself chose him to be one of our companions, and he's been brave and faithful. 
The elves spoke together in soft voices and questioned Legolas in their own tongue. "'Very good,' said Haldir at last. "'We will do this, though it is against our liking. "'If Aragorn and Legolas will guard him and answer for him, he shall pass. "'But he must go blindfold through Lothlorien. "'But now we must debate no longer. "'Your folk must not remain on the ground.' We have been keeping watch in the rivers ever since we saw a great troop of orcs going north toward Moria, along the skirts of the mountains, many days ago. Wolves are howling on the woods' borders. If you have indeed come from Moria, the peril cannot be far behind. Tomorrow, early, you must go on. The four hobbits shall climb here and stay with us. We do not fear them. There is another talon in the next tree. There the others must take refuge. You, Legolas, must answer to us for them. Call us if anything is amiss, and have an eye on that dwarf. Legolas at once went down the ladder to take Haldir's message, and soon afterward Merry and Pippin clambered up to the high flat. They were out of breath and seemed rather scared. There, said Merry, panting. We've lugged up your blanket as well as our own. Strider's hidden all the rest of our baggage in a deep drift of leaves. You had no need of your burdens, said Haldir. It is cold in the treetops in winter, though the wind tonight is in the south. But we have food and drink to give you that will drive away the night chill, and we have skins and cloaks to spare. The hobbits accepted this second, and far better, supper very gladly. They then wrapped themselves warmly, not only in the fur cloaks of the elves, but in their own blankets as well, and tried to go to sleep. But weary as they were, only Sam found that easy to do. Hobbits do not like heights, and did not sleep upstairs, even when they had any stairs. The flat was not at all to their liking as a bedroom. It had no walls, not even a rail. Only on one side was there a light-plated screen, which could be moved and fixed in different places according to the wind. Pippin went on talking for a while. I hope that if I do go to sleep in this bird loft, I shan't fall off, he said. Once I do go to sleep, said Sam, I shall go on sleeping, whether I roll off or no. And the less said, the sooner I'll drop off, if you take my meaning. Frodo lay for some time awake, then looked up at the stars glinting through the pale roof of quivering leaves. Sam was snoring at his side long before he himself closed his eyes. He could see dimly the grey forms of two elves sitting motionless with their arms about their knees, speaking in whispers. The other had gone down to take up his watch on one of the lower branches. At last, lulled by the wind in the boughs above and the sweet murmur of the falls of Nimrodel below, Frodo fell asleep with the song of Legolas running in his mind. Late in the night, he woke. The other hobbits were asleep. The elves were gone. The sickle moon was gleaming dimly among the leaves. The wind was still. A little way off, he heard a harsh laugh and the tread of many feet on the ground below. There was a ring of metal. The sounds died slowly away and seemed to go southward, on into the wood. A head appeared suddenly through the hole in the flat. Frodo set up an alarm and saw that it was a gray-hooded elf. He looked toward the hobbits. "'What is it?' said Frodo. "'Yerk,' said the elf in a 
hissing whisper and cast onto the flat the rope ladder rolled up. Orcs, said Frodo. What are they doing? But the elf had gone. There were no more sounds. Even the leaves were silent, and the very falls seemed to be hushed. Frodo sat and shivered in his wraps. He was thankful that they had not been caught on the ground, but he felt that the trees offered little protection except concealment. Orcs were as keen as hounds on ascent, it was said, but they could also climb. He drew out Sting. It flashed and glittered like a blue flame, and then slowly faded again and grew dull. In spite of the fading of his sword, the feeling of immediate danger did not leave Frodo. Rather, it grew stronger. He got up and crawled to the opening and peered down. He was almost certain he could hear stealthy movements at the tree's foot far below. Not elves, for the woodland folk were altogether noiseless in their movements. Then he heard faintly a sound like sniffing. and something seemed to be scrabbling on the bark of the tree trunk. He stared down into the dark, holding his breath. Something was now climbing slowly, and its breath came like a soft hissing through closed teeth. And then coming up close to the stem, Frodo saw two pale eyes. They stopped and gazed upward, unwinking. Suddenly they turned away, and a shadowy figure slipped around the trunk of the tree and vanished. Immediately afterward, Haldir came swiftly up through the branches. There was something in this tree that I've never seen before, he said. It was not an orc. It fled as soon as I touched the tree stem. It seemed to be wary, and to have some skill in trees, or I might have thought it was one of you hobbits. I did not shoot, for I dared not raise any cries. We cannot risk battle. A strong company of orcs has passed. They crossed the Nimradel, cursed their foul feet in its clean water, and they went down the old road beside the river. They seemed to pick up some scent, and they searched the ground for a while near the place where you halted. The three of us could not challenge a hundred, so we went ahead and spoke with feigned voices leading them on into the wood. Orofin has gone now in haste back to our dwelling to warn our people. None of the orcs will ever return out of Lorien, and there will be many orcs hidden in the northern border before another night falls. But you must take the road south as soon as it is fully light. Day came pale from the east, as the light grew, it filtered through the yellow leaves of the Malorn, and it seemed to the hobbits that the early sun of a cool summer's morning was shining. Pale blue sky peeped among the moving branches. Moving through an opening in the south side of the flat, Frodo saw the valley of the Silverlode lying like a sea of fallow gold, tossing gently in the breeze. The morning was still young and cold when the company set out again, guided now by Haldir and his brother Rumil. "'Farewell, sweet Nimrodel,' cried Legolas. Frodo looked back and caught a gleam of white foam among grey tree stems. "'Farewell,' he said. It seemed to him that he would never hear again a running water so beautiful. 
forever blending its innumerable notes in an endless, changeful music. They went back to the path that still went on along the west side of the Silverload, and for some time they followed it southward. There were the prints of Orkfeet on the earth, but soon Haldir turned aside into the trees and halted on the bank of the river under their shadows. "'There is one of my people yonder across the stream,' he said, "'though you may not see him.' He gave a call like the low whistle of a bird, and out of the thicket of young trees an elf stepped, clad in grey, but with his hood thrown back, his hair glinted like gold in the morning sun. Haldir skillfully cast over the stream a coil of grey rope, and he caught it and bound the end about the tree near the bank. Celebrant is already a strong stream here, as you see, said Haldir, and it runs both swift and deep, and is very cold. We do not set foot in it so far north unless we must, but in these days of watchfulness we do not make bridges. This is how we cross. Follow me. He made his end of the rope fast about another tree and then ran lightly along it, over the river and back again, as if he were on a road. I can walk this path, said Legolas, but the others have not this skill. Must they swim? No, said Haldir. We've got two more ropes. We will fasten them above the other, one shoulder high, the other half high, and holding on to these, the strangers should be able to cross with care. When this slender bridge had been made, the company passed over, some cautiously and slowly, others more easily. Of the hobbits, Pippin proved the best, for he was sure-footed, and he walked over quickly, holding only with one hand, but he kept his eyes on the bank ahead and did not look down. Sam shuffled along, clutching hard and looking into the pale, eddying water as if it were a chasm in the mountains. He breathed with relief when he was safely across. "'Live and learn,' as my gaffer used to say. Oh, though he was thinking about gardening, not about roosting like a bird or trying to walk like a spider. Not even my Uncle Andy ever did a trick like that.' Then at length all the company was gathered on the east bank of the Silverlode, and the elves untied the ropes and coiled two of them. Rumil, who had remained on the other side, drew back the last one, slung it onto his shoulder, and with a wave of his hand, went away, back to Nimrodel to keep watch. "'Now, friends,' said Haldir, "'you have entered the nath of Lorien, or the Gore, as you would say, for it is the land that lies like a spearhead between the arms of Silverlord and Anduin the Great.' We allow no strangers to spy out the secrets of the Nath. Few indeed are permitted to even set foot there. As was agreed, I shall here blindfold the eyes of Gimli the dwarf. The others may walk free for a while till we come nearer to our dwellings, down in Elgladil, in the angle between the waters. This was not at all to the liking of Gimli. The agreement was made without my consent, he said. I will not walk blindfold like a beggar or a prisoner, and I am no spy. My folk have never had dealings with any of the servants of the enemy, neither have we done harm to the elves. I'm no more likely to betray you than Legolas or any of my other companions. I do not doubt you, said Haldir, yet this is our law. I am not the master of the law, and cannot set it aside.' 
I have done much in letting you set foot over Celebrant. Gimli was obstinate. He planted his feet firmly apart and laid his hand upon the haft of his axe. I will go forward, free, he said. Or I will go back and seek my own land. What I am known to be true of word, though I will perish alone in the wilderness. You cannot go back, said Haldir sternly. Now you have come thus far, and you must be brought before the Lord and Lady. They shall judge you, or hold you, or give you leave, as they will. You cannot cross the waters again, and behind you there are now secret sentinels that you cannot pass. You would be slain before you saw them. Gimli drew his axe from his belt. Haldir and his companions bent their bows. A plague upon dwarves and their stiff necks, said Legolas. Come, said Aragorn. If I am still to lead this company, then you must do as I bid. It is hard upon the dwarf to be thus singled out. We will all be blindfold, even Legolas. That will be best, though it will make the journey slow and dull. Gimli laughed suddenly. A <laughs> merry troop of fools we shall look. Will Aldor lead us all on a string, like many blind beggars with one dog? But I will be content if only Legolas here shares my blindness. I am an elf and a kinsman here, said Legolas, becoming angry in his turn. Now let us cry a plague upon the stiff necks of the elves, said Aragorn. But the company shall all fare alike. Come and bind our eyes, Haldir. I shall claim full amends for every fall and stubbed door if you do not lead us well, said Gimli as they bound a cloth over his eyes. You will have no claim, said Haldir. I shall lead you well, and the paths are smooth and straight. Alas for the folly of these days, said Legolas. Here all are enemies of the one enemy, and yet I must walk blind where the sun is merry in the woodland under the leaves of gold. Folly, though it may seem, said Haldir, indeed in nothing is the power of the Dark Lord more clearly shown than in the estrangement that divides all those who still oppose him. Yet so little faith and trust do we find now in the world beyond Lothlorien, unless maybe in Rivendell, that we do not dare by our own trust endanger our land. We live now upon an island amid many perils, and our hands are more often upon the bowstring than the harp. The rivers long defended us, but they are a sure guard no more, for the shadow has crept northward about us all. Some speak of departing, yet for that it already seems too late. The mountains to the west are growing evil, to the east the lands are waste and full of Sauron's creatures, and it is rumoured that we cannot now safely pass southward toward Rohan, and the mouths of the great river are watched by the enemy. Even if we could come to the shores of the sea, we should find no longer any shelter there. It is said there are still havens of the high elves, but they are far north and west, beyond the land of the halflings. And where that may be, though the Lord and Lady may know, I do not. You ought to at least guess, since you've seen us, said Mary. There are elf havens west of my land, the Shire, where the hobbits live. Happy folk are hobbits to dwell near the shores of the sea, said Haldir. 
It is long indeed since any of my folk have looked upon it, yet still we remember it in song. Tell me of these havens as we walk. Oh, I can't, said Mary. I've never seen them. I've never been out of my own land before. And if I'd known what the world outside was like, I don't think I should have had the heart to leave it. Not even to see fair Lothlorien, said Haldir. The world is indeed full of peril, and in it there are many dark places. Still, there is much that is fair, and though in all the lands love is now mingled with grief, it grows perhaps the greater. Some there are among us who sing that the shadow will draw back, and peace shall come again. Yet I do not believe that the world about us will ever again be as it was of old, or the light of the sun as it was aforetime. For the elves, I fear, it will prove at best a truce, in which they may pass the sea unhindered and leave Middle-earth forever. As for Lothlorien, that I love, it would be a poor life in a land where no Malorn grew. But if there are Malorn trees beyond the great sea, none have reported it. As they spoke thus, the company filed slowly along the paths in the wood, led by Haldir, while the other elf walked behind. They felt the ground beneath their feet smooth and soft, but after a while they walked more freely, without fear of hurt or fall. Being deprived of sight, Frodo found his hearing and other senses sharpened. He could smell the trees and the trodden grass. He could hear many different notes in the rustle of leaves overhead, the river murmuring away on his right, and the thin, clear voices of birds high in the sky. He felt the sun upon his face and hands when he passed through an open glade. As soon as he set foot on the far side of the silver load, a strange feeling had come upon him, and it deepened as he walked on into the Naeth. It seemed to him that he had stepped over a bridge of time into a corner of the Elder Days, and was now walking in a world that was no more. In Rivendell there was a memory of ancient things. In Lorien, the ancient things still lived on in the waking world. Evil had been seen and heard there. Sorrow had been known. The elves feared and distrusted the world outside. Wolves were now howling on the wood's borders. But on the land of Lorien, no shadow lay. All that day the company marched on until they felt the cool evening come and heard the early night wind whispering among many leaves. Then they rested and slept without fear upon the ground, for their guides would not permit them to unbind their eyes, and they could not climb. In the morning they went on again, walking without haste. At noon they halted, and Frodo was aware that they had passed under the shining sun. Suddenly he heard the sound of many voices all around him. A marching host of elves had come up silently. They were hastening toward the northern borders to guard against any attack from Moria, and they brought news, some of which Haldir reported. The marauding orcs had been waylaid and almost all destroyed. The remnant had fled westward toward the mountains and were being pursued. A strange creature also had been seen, running with bent back and hands near the ground like a beast and yet not of beast shape. It had eluded capture, and they had not shot it, not knowing whether it was good or ill, and it had vanished down the silver load southward. Also, said Haldir, they bring me a message from the lord and lady of the Galadrim. You are all to walk free, even the dwarf Gimli, 
It seems that the lady knows who and what is each member of your company. New messages have come from Rivendell, perhaps. He removed the bandage first from Gimli's eyes. Your pardon, he said, bowing low. Look on us now with friendly eyes. Look and be glad, for you are the first dwarf to behold the trees of the Nayeth of Lorien since Durin's day. When his eyes were in turn uncovered, Frodo looked up and caught his breath. They were standing in an open space. To the left stood a great mound covered with a sward of grass as green as springtime in the elder days. Upon it, as a double crown, grew two circles of trees. The outer had bark of snowy white and were leafless but beautiful in their shapely nakedness. The inner were malone trees of great height, still arrayed in pale gold. High amid the branches of a towering tree that stood in the center of all there gleamed a white flet. At the feet of the trees, and all about the green hillsides, the grass was studded with small golden flowers shaped like stars. Among them, nodding on slender stalks, were other flowers, white and palest green. They shimmered as a mist amid the rich hue of the grass. Over all the sky was blue, and the sun of afternoon glowed upon the hill and cast long green shadows beneath the trees. Behold! You come to Karen Amroth, said Haldir, for this is the heart of the ancient realm as it was long ago, and here is the mound of Amroth, where in happier days his high house was built. Here ever bloom the winter flowers in the unfading grass. The yellow Eleanor and pale Nifredil. Here we will stay a while and come to the city of the Galadrim at dusk. The others cast themselves down on the fragrant grass, but Frodo stood a while, still lost in wonder. It seemed to him that he had stepped through a high window that looked on a vanished world. A light was upon it for which his language had no name. All that he saw was shapely, but the shapes seemed at once clear-cut as if they had been first conceived and drawn out of the uncovering of his eyes, and ancient as if they had endured forever. He saw no color but those that he knew, gold and white and blue and green, but they were fresh and poignant, as if he had at that moment first perceived them and made for them names new and wonderful. In winter, here, no heart could mourn for summer or for spring. No blemish or sickness or deformity could be seen in anything that grew upon the earth. In the land of Lorien, there was no stain. He turned and saw that Sam was now standing beside him looking round with a puzzled expression and rubbing his eyes as though he might not be sure he was awake. That sunlight and bright day, right enough, he said. I thought that elves were all for moon and stars, but this is more elvish than anything I've ever heard tell of. I feel as if I was inside a song, if you take my meaning. Haldir looked at them and seemed indeed to take the meaning of both thought and word. He smiled. You feel the power of the Lady of the Galadrim, he said. Would it please you to climb up with me to Karen Amroth? They followed him as he stepped lightly up the grass-clad slopes. 
though he walked and breathed, and about him living leaves and flowers were stirred by the same cool wind as fanned his face, Frodo felt that he was in a timeless land that did not fade or change or fall into forgetfulness. When he had gone and passed again into the outer world, still Frodo, the wanderer from the Shire, would walk there, upon the grass among Eleanor and Nefredil in fair Lothlorien. They entered the circle of white trees. As they did so, the south wind blew upon Karen Amroth and sighed among the branches. Frodo stood still, hearing far off great seas upon beaches that had long ago been washed away, and seabirds crying whose race had perished from the earth. Haldir had gone on and was now climbing up the high flat. As Frodo prepared to follow, he laid his hand upon the tree beside the ladder. Never before had he been so suddenly and so keenly aware of the feel and texture of a tree's skin and of the life within it. He felt a delight in wood and the touch of it, neither as forester nor as carpenter. It was the delight of the living tree itself. As he stepped out at last to the lofty platform, Haldir took his hand and turned him toward the south. Look this way first, he said. Frodo looked and saw, still at some distance, a hill of many mighty trees, or a city of green towers, which it was he could not tell. Out of it, it seemed to him that the power and light came and held all the land in sway. He longed suddenly to fly like a bird to rest in the green city. Then he looked eastward and saw all the land of Lorien running down to the pale gleam of the Anduin, the great river. He lifted his eyes across the river, and all the light went out, and he was back again in the world he knew. Beyond the river, the land appeared flat and empty, formless and vague, until far away it rose again like a wall, dark and drear. The sun that lay in Lothlorien had no power to enlighten the shadow of that distant height. "'There lies the fastness of southern Mirkwood,' said Haldir. It is clad in a forest of dark fir, where the trees strive against one another, and their branches rot and wither. In the midst, upon a stony stand, stands Dol Guldur, where long the hidden enemy had his dwelling. We fear now it is inhabited again, and with power sevenfold. A black cloud lies over it of late. In this high place you may see two powers that are opposed to one another, and ever they strive now in thought, but whereas the light perceives the very heart of its darkness, its own secrets has not been discovered. Not yet. He turned and climbed swiftly down, and they followed him. At the hill's foot, Frodo found Aragorn, standing still and silent as a tree. But in his hand was a small golden bloom of Eleanor, and a light was in his eyes. He was wrapped in some fair memory, and as Frodo looked at him, he knew that he beheld things as they had been once in this same place. For the grim years were removed from the face of Aragorn, and he seemed clothed in white, a young lord, fair and tall, and he spoke words in elvish tongue to one whom Frodo could not see. Arwen, Vanimelda, Namarie, 
he said, and then he drew a breath, and returning out of his thought, he looked at Frodo and smiled. Here is the heart of Elvendom in the world, he said, and here my heart dwells ever, unless there be a light beyond the dark roads that we must tread, you and I. Come with me. And taking Frodo's hand in his, he left the hill of Karen Amroth and came there never again as a living man. folks oof that one kind of took it out of me i gotta be honest i'm it it wasn't my longest stream ever by any means but but uh no today's stream (laughs) oh boy oh boy okay so so everybody yeah it seemed long didn't it gwendog not the certainly not the longest that it's ever been oh boy oh boy I don't think I'm just tired. I don't know what's going on, but we did it. We done did the thing. We have just finished up chapters five and six. Uh, Next time we move on to chapters seven and eight. And then, I mean, next time is going to be our penultimate stream of this book. And then we're going to have, let's see, on the 26th, no stream. Hmm. This is not how I would like this to have gone. What am I going to do about this? Here's the deal, folks. I'm going to be traveling um, from the 23rd through the 8th. And so we're going to be short a few streams, like two weeks of streams, solidly. Uh, It's going to be two weeks of streams plus a bit. Uh, But the 26th and the 2nd, we will not have have our stream as per usual. Um, Hmm... Hmm, I'm gonna have to figure out what I'm gonna do about that. Dang it, if we had just if if there's if I hadn't skipped this last week, it would have been fine. But I had to take care of myself. Okay, let's see. Um we'll have to do some planning. Hmm, indeed. Yeah, so I'm gonna be traveling, folks. Um and uh as such, we're not gonna have some streams. We're gonna be missing some streams. Um I'm going to have to figure out what to do about that. Of course, uh, the news of that will show up over on Discord uh, when I'm in there. It is going to be a... um, Let's see. It is going to be... I don't know. I don't know. I can't make any... I can't make any promises about it yet. I I thought I had mathed it out right, and uh, uh, it turns out maybe not quite right. (laughs) Folks, I do thank you all very much for joining me here. Uh, like I said, this one really took it out of me. And so I think, I think it's a lot of just, you know, Dumbledore shouting and a lot of, I'm an elf, Mifwil. Um, I think, I think I'm going to call it there. I think I'm going to call it there. Let's talk about a raid. Um, who is up? I think let's go hang out with Emmy. Emmy's solid. Emmy's a good one. Uh, they are currently playing uh, Mass Effect once again. So, with that, folks, I'm going to take a break. I also don't think I've supported my breath properly. I don't. I didn't think one week could put me so hard out of practice, but here we are.
Hashtag Mifwil. <laughs> Hashtag Mifwil. O equals yo. Everybody, if you want to join in the raid, you don't have to press anything. Just hang on tight. We shall be raiding over real quick. Uh, if you do not want to join the raid, you can click out of it. But, uh, folks, thank you so very much for being here with me. Uh, we're going to head on over now. Uh, show show uh, Emmy some love for me. Uh, they are, they're doing a great job. They're a great streamer. And uh, I do hope that you all will have a fantastic remainder of your night. I know I'm cutting it a little short, but boy, am I tired. I love y'all. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.